sometimes we just can't find the right words. There are times when we have trouble describing the magnificence of something. Words just don't seem to do justice to the thing that we're experiencing. We struggle to find words to adequately express the majesty of one thing. And we struggle to find words to express the severity of another thing. Words don't always capture the grandeur of an experience that is before us. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I went back to where my wife Amy is from in the Rocky Mountains, just outside of Glacier National Park, Montana. And there were times when what we experienced, what we saw with our eyes by way of mountains and lakes and trees and what we felt on our skin by way of sunshine and a soft breeze and by way of what we smelled in the air of the evergreens in the mountains, there were times when the coalescing of, ex- of things in an experience could not be expressed adequately with words. And I know that you could probably list a number of things in your life where that's the case. Where words just don't do justice to the majestic beauty of one thing or the severity of another. And I think that we would agree that God is the greatest example of these things at all. How do you adequately express the majesty of God with words? What types of adjectives and nouns and verbs and participles could you possibly throw together to, to express our experience of him? <laughs> or even more importantly, to describe his true nature that even supersedes our experience of him? It seems like a fool's errand, almost impossible. And yet, it is important to try. It's important to try because there's great benefit in expressing the majesty and wonder and glory and awe that emanates from our eternal God and Father. And as we turn our Bibles this morning to Habakkuk chapter 3, that's precisely what we see. And so I want to ask you to open a Bible with me to page 786 of the Pew Bible or in your personal Bible. And we see in the conclusion of this book of Habakkuk, the prophet, in the midst of distress, puts words to the incredible nature of God that he is interacting with. And in doing so, you can actually hear how his disposition toward his circumstances change. And so let's read together. Please follow with me in Habakkuk chapter 3. This is what it says. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigenoath. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of praise. 
His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kishon and afflictions. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. And the raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. And the sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like the whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if it were to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, nor produce of the olive fail, And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Amen. Throughout the book of Habakkuk, we've seen the prophet going down a progression of his spiritual journey. And at the end of the book, he comes full circle. The progression has been something like this. He looks at the wickedness of his own people and he complains to God, why do you allow this? God says, I'm not going to allow it. I'm going to judge them and I'm going to judge them using your enemies. And so he complains to God again because he doesn't like God's answer. (laughs) He didn't like his situation, and then he received an unwanted answer. And throughout the course of chapter 2, God reveals his plan more fully, and the prophet, this results in sort of the culmination of chapter 2 with the prophet recognizing who the Lord is and who people are in response. And so he says at the end of chapter 2, 
but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Habakkuk is moving from a place where he is unwilling to accept unwanted answers from God to a place where he considers God and he finds himself surrendering here at the beginning of chapter 3, surrendering his will in exchange for God's will, even though he doesn't like it. And he clings then to God for his salvation. This, my friends, is called faith. And look with me at the beginning of this movement toward faith at verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. (laughs) The report that he heard was the report that God just gave him of chapter 2. The work that he heard was the work that God just told him that he was going to do. And you might remember at the very beginning of the book in chapter 1 verse 5, in the middle of Habakkuk's complaint, the Lord's very first response to him was, look among the nations and see Wonder and be astounded, for I am going to do a work that even if I told you, you wouldn't believe. (laughs) He's told him now the work. Habakkuk is seeing what's going to happen. And his response initially was, God, how could you do this? But now he accepts the reality of the situation and simply says, Lord, I'm afraid. But in his fear and in his surrender is the beginning of faith. Faith begins with a surrender to God. Bruce Larson tells about how he helped people struggling with the biggest aspect of surrender in this life the idea of surrendering our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he he talks about for how many years he worked as a pastor in New York City and he counseled people in his office on a number of occasions who were wrestling with this greatest question. Should I surrender to the Lord Jesus or should I not? It's a yes or no question. And often, he says, I would suggest that we would walk down from my office down the street to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue in New York. And at the entrance of the building is a gigantic statue of Atlas, the beautifully proportioned man who with all of his muscles straining is holding the world upon his shoulders. There he is, the most powerfully built man in the world and he can barely, barely stand up underneath the burden. And I would look to the person, he says, and say, now that's one way that you could choose to live. Trying to carry the world on your shoulders. But as you consider that, come across the street with me. And on the other side of Fifth Avenue is the historic St. Patrick's Cathedral. And behind the high altar is a little shrine of the boy Jesus, 
who is eight or nine years old, and with no effort at all, he's holding the whole world in his hand. The contrast of the images are striking. And the point is illustrated graphically. We have a choice. We can try to carry the whole world on our shoulders with all of its burdens, or we could say, Lord, here's my life. I surrender my world to you. In fact, I surrender all of the world to you. Surrendering to God is the beginning of faith. And this is where the prophet now finds himself. Surrendering to God, even in his fear. And it leads to faith. And so what should he do next as he surrendered? Fear dominates his emotions. The circumstances before him are increasingly more grim. His faith is now growing. And we see through the bulk of this prayer to God, which actually becomes a song of worship for all of the people of God, we see in verses 3 through 15 that he remembers things about God and that his hope for the future is generated by remembering that God is the Lord of glory. Look with me. The sequence of word pictures here in this text is what we're talking about. Truly awe-inspiring in their effect. Words that are attempting to do justice to the majestic and powerful nature of God the Father. And he says in verse 3 that God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran and his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. The context here helps us understand what he means in the prayer. For God to come from Teman and Mount Paran, Teman was a place in southern Palestine and the mountains of Paran were even farther south in the Sinai Peninsula. This is the region that God's people, Israel, found refuge in upon their fleeing from Egypt. They escaped slavery because God delivered them miraculously. He opened the waters before them and they would cross dry and they would move into the wilderness on their way to Mount Sinai, being led by God himself, a pillar of fire during the night and a cloud of smoke during the day. And there at Mount Sinai, they would receive his law. And here, in this unique season of the Exodus, God was acting in an overwhelmingly powerful way to lead and protect his people. What Habakkuk is doing here is remembering. He's recalling to mind the actions of of God that have aligned with his promises. The Israelites looked at that period of time, the Exodus, that period of time, as the worst period of time for their nation. This was national calamity. This was the verge of extinction. It was their greatest time of need. And now, as God reveals to the prophet Habakkuk that they are on the verge of another great, great time of need, he recounts, he remembers, he recalls to mind all of the works of God and his glory and his power in the last time of need and it gives him hope 
in this time of need. And the imagery here is striking as he remembers who God is. Let me read it again in verses 4 through 6. The description of God walking through the earth, his brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. The display of God is a God who is a powerful warrior fighting against the wicked. Pestilence or burning fever would go before him. Plague followed behind him. The closer that he comes in his holiness and radiance, the consequences of his approach become all the more fearful. And it reminds us of a description of another return. It reminds us of the description of the second coming of God's son, Jesus. who's described in very similar ways as he approaches One such description, Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all of the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. And so verse 6 Of Habakkuk chapter 3, the prophet is pointing to the fact that the earth was God's creation. It served his purposes as he walked through it. And when he stood still, the mountains crumbled and the nations shook. Who could possibly measure the earth? Only the one who stands far enough above it to see it clearly. The one who knows all of the details and can evaluate them rightly. This God is bigger than us. He's greater than our circumstances. He's more grand than the history of time in which we live. And he is far superior in every way to his creation. His splendor and glory make the beauty of the earth look dim. And his vision cuts through the fog of our difficulties, of our suffering, of our circumstances, and our sin as he assesses rightly and precisely the reality that is before us. And what we see here is that when looking upon the majestic nature of God, the prophet finds hope in remembering. Remembering the greatness and glory of God himself. I wonder if you remember. I wonder if you remember the experiences of God in your life 
I wonder if you remember the times when his presence was undeniably experienced or felt by you. I wonder if you remember when you realized how small you were, that moment when you realized how small you were in contrast to how big he really is. Or if you remember the times when he comforted you in a way that absolutely nobody else could comfort you. Or if you remember the time when your sin became so evident to you in contrast to his perfection and holiness that you wept with sorrow as you grieved it. But the great and mighty God washed over you as you pled for forgiveness. He gave it to you because of his son Jesus and your faith in him. Friends, we worship a majestic and powerful God. And sometimes we forget. The hurt and the pain and the fog of our unwanted situation, of our difficulty, of our suffering, of the unwanted answers that we have in life can tempt us to question the God who allows such things. Or even worse, to accuse him, this God who is in control of all things. But hope is found in remembering who this God is. And when you remember... (laughs) This moves you to a place, no matter how difficult the circumstance, of surrender. Now, as if the accounting of these great actions of God is not enough, the prophet then reminds himself and all of the hearers of this prayer and of this song of God's hatred and disdain for the wicked and for wickedness, and conversely, his upholding of his own people. Look with me at verses 10 through 13. He says that the mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on, the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. And at the light of your arrows as they sped, At the flash of your glimmering spear, you marched through the earth in fury and you threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. There's a sense here in which he knows As he prays, he knows that the sin of Israel and the wickedness of Babylon both demand judgment. Even the worst kind of judgment, he knows this. And he's reckoning with his 
the sin that is around him, and yet, for the righteous who are among them, he calls for their salvation, even for his own salvation. And so you see this clear link of how God continually works throughout the course of history. He judges, ultimately, those who have sin or rebel against him or live in wickedness. And when you realize that all of us fall into that category at some point in our life, we fear. (laughs) We fear like the prophet was afraid of the picture of judgment. And yet, God saves those who are his people consistently throughout the Bible. And so the question becomes, who are the ones who are his people? Or how do you become one of his people? How do you know that at the glory of the Lord that you are not perceiving it to be a terrible and awful judgment upon you, but rather a great day of hope and salvation for your future? Romans chapter 5 verse 2 says it as succinctly as it can be said. Through Jesus we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When you put your faith in Jesus, you have access to God and his grace, and you continue to stand in it in such a way that when God's glory is revealed in all of its awesome and majestic expression, you rejoice. (laughs) You don't tremble in fear. Having faith, faith, in the Lord of glory gives us hope in any situation. As the book comes to its conclusion in verses 16 through 19, you see the prophet himself coming full circle. Verses 16 through 19, not only does he move from a place of of acceptance, reluctant acceptance and fear, to a place of surrender and ultimate faith. At the end, he actually moves to a place where he expresses joy, even though his nation is about to be decimated. He's surrendering his will to the God that he serves. And the movement in his disposition is nothing short of miraculous. Habakkuk chapter 3.16 says this. He says, I hear... And my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. He's afraid. But he's accepting what's going to happen. Then after a description of verse 17 of the stripping away of all the good things in his life, and sometimes that happens in our life, that all of the good things are stripped away and it reveals what's most valuable to us in the moment of greatest need, here's the miraculous shift, the last two verses of the book where it ends. He says, yet despite all of these things being gone, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in God the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And so you start to see how all of the ideas of the book coalesce. We don't like our circumstances. 
so we issue a complaint to God. God gives us an unwanted answer, and so we issue another complaint to God. We look and we start to see him clearly, and God says the just will live by faith. And as his plan continues to unfold, we see, we surrender our will, and we live by faith because he is the majestic powerful Lord of glory. And when you come to that place, no matter how bad the circumstances are, you actually begin to find a joy that's rooted in him. When you have faith in God, this God of glory, you can have joy in any circumstance. Some of us are here today and we're in very hard times because of our own sinful choices and the consequences of those choices. Some of us are here today and we're in very hard times due to no choice of our own, but circumstances outside of our control. And the message of Habakkuk is the same for both. Remember who this God is and put your faith in him. When you have faith in the God of glory, you can actually have joy in any circumstance. Some of us are here today and we have no major difficulties in life at the moment, but we know that at some point we will. <laughs> That's the nature of our human experience. Difficulty and suffering or strife or problems in our job or financial issues. And therefore, this message, this message of Habakkuk, serves to prepare us for that day. What do you do when you are struggling in your friendships and you're lonely and you feel unjustly left out? Where do you turn? You cling to the Lord and you have faith in him. What do you do when the battle with depression returns and it has its grip upon you and it seems like it's never going to let you go. You have faith. You have faith in the Lord of glory and you cling to this king and his authority. How do you navigate the tough seasons of marriage without losing hope or giving up or losing joy? Put your faith in God and you ask him to empower you and to see you through even the most difficult waters. How do you navigate chronic pain, illness, or even impending death? How do you live well and die well? You say, as the prophet has said, God, the Lord, is my strength. And I will take my joy in him. He is enough for me. Even if all else that is wonderful in this world is gone and all I have left is him. Even there, I will have joy.
when you have faith in the God of glory, you can have joy in any circumstance. One of our church members, Art Fuller, was diagnosed with terminal cancer the other day. We're going to have the opportunity to see him tomorrow and to pray with him, knowing that it might be the last time. Art put his faith in Jesus as a teenager. He's followed the Lord for many years. He has an absolutely incredible legacy in his family. He would say every one of his children and every one of his grandchildren profess faith in the Lord Jesus. And for those of you who know Art, you know that he brightens up any room he walks into. That he has a sharp wit, a great sense of humor, and is always giving encouraging words. Art is a man of deep faith. And yet today, this morning, he lies and rests in the hospice house with two aggressive forms of cancer attacking his body. And he knows that within days, they will take his life. And for those who've seen Art in the last couple days, the testimony of their interactions with him has been nothing short of incredible. They say, Art hasn't changed. (laughs) Despite being there, despite suffering the way that he is, despite what's going on, those who spent time with him even yesterday say, he has this incredible peace and joy about him, even though he's in this circumstance. And in this way, his situation is not a tragedy. Just like it's not a tragedy for a 32-year-old Christian to have a sudden and unwanted change in career. (laughs) Or a 42-year-old Christian to grind through a hard stretch of marriage, even though it's very painful. Or a 62-year-old Christian to have difficulty rebounding from some of the consequences of their sinful decisions, but they've repented and they're walking the hard road that is ahead of them. And it's not a tragedy for an 82-year-old Christian man to suffer cancer that will ultimately take his life. All of these things are hard. All of them are incredibly painful. But we know the Lord of glory who oversees them. And when you have faith in the God of glory, you too can have joy in any circumstance. And so Christian, remember him. Remember who he is. Trust in the majestic, powerful, wonderful, awesome work of his hands. And as you do, grow in faith that carries you through some of the most difficult days. Let's pray together. Father, we have a serious tone in what is a serious book and a serious message.
we pray today that indeed we would continue to see clearly who you are in all of your wonderful ways. That we would cling to you. That we would be found as the just who live by faith. And that in this faith, not just in what you will do, but in who you are, we will have joy. We pray this for the sake of our own good. (laughs) and for your glory.